chapter 12, there's a lot of thanksgiving. Jeremiah ended up in a very funny way, isn't it? If you read chapter 13, it's a very funny way to end the book. It's almost like, ooh, uh, where is the ending? Is it a happy ending, not so good ending, or what? Chapter 12 is great, rejoicing, thanksgiving. And chapter 13 is tragic. So I think, uh, hopefully I can touch a little bit of that. Okay, so then what happened is that, so there were preaching of the word, and every time they, there was some preaching, there was some impact and some response, okay? So we covered to the last Sunday night. Hey, can anybody remember what was the first response? Sorry to give you a quiz, but I just want to make sure that the word does sing in, right? Otherwise, it's like, they weep, right? They weep. No reason was given, but we can trace back. It is because they were so convicted of the sin. Because what they heard was exactly what you heard read just now in 39. Except that it's like repeating over and over again. So they were so convicted of their own sinfulness. But not only that, they're so, they feel so bad for the forefathers. And they say, how can, all, how can my forefather be so stubborn and sifnated? The other thing that moved them into it was they see the mercy and the faithfulness of God. That's what the scriptures should be doing. It should convert us of how sinful we are. There's a hopelessness part of it, right? The worthless part. But the scripture gives us the hope because we know we've got a faithful and forgiving God. They will always be faithful to us no matter how far we've gone away from him or how often. So that was, so that was the first thing, right? Then there was a second reading. What happened? Well done. So what happens there? They read and then they, they actually read Leviticus and they find that, hey, the people actually, you know, the forefathers live in ten because God wants them to remember that God has provided to God has actually took them out of Egypt and said provided for them. And during the seventh day of the festival, the, the, the trumpet, Leviticus 23, I think. So they all actually built. So they say, let's do it. They follow the instruction of the Lord. And so they built 49, oh, sorry, 49,000. There may be more, but because, you know, one family of six. But anyway, 49, I mean, anyway, there are so many tents. But I, the, the thing behind is that it motivates them to want to in, obey and instruct the Lord. Now, so today we will study two more of the reading, okay? So very quickly, we were this, this way we left the last time. So we come back here, the, 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 they will do two more, three more occasions where the word has been read. Now, just to put you into context was this. Some commentator actually wrote and said that from chapter 8 to chapter 13, okay, when the people is being brought back from exile, it is also a beginning of God restoring, not only restoring them as a nation, they become their God and, and, and they have become his people, but it's also a restoration of the covenant. The covenant between you know, God and his people. The only thing is that this covenant that is going to be restored will eventually be fulfilled totally in the Lord Jesus. Okay, where God only not say that I'm going to be your God and you're going to be a people, but that you know, my word will live in you and my spirit will be in you. And so you don't need to go to the temple because my presence will be with you. So the ultimate thing of the completion of this covenant is that Jesus came and died and resurrected 
And when we believe, the Holy Spirit will give it to us. So God is with us, and we are His people, we are His chosen nation, but God lives in us through the Spirit. So that is, this is the beginning of that journey. Okay, so the next time that they all start to sit down and read was actually, let's look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 18. Now remember this one, day after day, from the first day of the last, Israel read from the book of the law. They celebrate the feast of the trumpet for seven days. So for seven days, they've been listening to the word of God. Man, have you ever sit down and... Okay, we go to church camp, right? But hey, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Seven days solid, man. You know, in between time, meals and... But so ever, anyway, they listen. They listen for seven days to the public reading of the word of the Lord. Now, the impact of this reading was actually, the thing is actually, look at Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 18. So, they did that. Now, come down to chapter 9, verse 1, okay? So, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their head. Those of Israel descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. Then, of course, they stood there and the book is being read again. In this instant, hey, my friend, seven days of solid reading, okay? Seven days, and when you reach the, reach the 20 something day, the action that came out from them was that they all actually, you know, mourn for their sin. And this is a little bit more than just a weeping. Okay, that time they weep and, and God said, no, you can't weep because it's celebration. You should, you know, celebrate and have enjoy the joy of the Lord. Listening to the word of God is the joy and there is God's strength for you. Now, after all this time in between the reading, the people are brought to the sense of their mourning for their sin. The conviction of sin has to somehow manifest itself. We call it repentance. But for them during that time, it is the mourning of their sin. And it is our thing. You know, do all this sackcloth and everything. Maybe you should do it. There must be some way we need to have some act of repentance. And the other thing that is great is that they confess their sin. Yeah, quite scriptural, right? Because hey, confess your sin to one another. But this is a public confession of their sin. And the thing is that they grieve the sin of their generation. You know, it's very important in terms of generation, okay? Because really, I've been, I'm one who has a lot of concern about gen, inter, in, generation in terms of responsibility. You know, when you start thinking the sin of your forefather, you are still thinking and say, man, I make sure my kid won't be going through what I'm going through, you know, because of the sin of my father you will have more responsibility towards the next generation to make sure that they will follow your footsteps. So there you go. There were this mourning, which is the expression of their conviction of sin. There were compassion of sin. How good it is that we can openly acknowledge and say, yep, we have sinned against the Lord. Isn't how cool if we can say that? Hey, can I come up to you and say, sorry, I've sinned against the Lord this time because I didn't obey Him. How good is that culture going to be? Because when you can do that, 
it'll be easier for you to go to somebody and say, I'm so sorry I hurt you. It's not intentional, but, you know, I hurt you. Confess your sin to one another. The next thing was that they separate themselves from the foreigner. Now, the same thing happened in chapter 10, verse 28. This sense of conviction of sin and the faithfulness of God make them aware that they need to be separated. Okay, they need to be separated as a sap from the foreigners. So verse 28, 10 says it very clear. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singer, temple servant, and all those who separate themselves from the neighboring people for the sake of the Lord of God. And then so forth. Okay, later on they will go into their binding agreement. But it's this stage of separation, the awareness that, you know, we need to be a different thing. Now, this time, the theme of First Peter, isn't it? Okay, later on, I'll touch a little bit about that on, on application, but it is that, you know, they are a, a holy nation. They are the chosen people, a royal priesthood. And their job is what? Their job is to, you know, reflect the praise of God and to glorify God. So basically, that's what they do. So you can see the progression of things, right? The conviction of sin has to move to somewhere, has to lead to somewhere, and it should be leading to, we suddenly realize that we need to be set aside. So the word is really set aside. Okay. Later on, you will hear the word as in chapter 13, when you, the word is being read again, they exclude the foreigner from you know, the Israelite. Now, it's not that they are being discriminatory. Okay. What they're trying to say that they need to have some demarcation in terms of the values, their belief, you know, and their practices. Okay? They have to be excluded from certain things that, you know, they all do as, you know, as Israelites. So, in other words, they cannot be. It's the same as when we do communion. You remember when we do communion? We do make the stand and say, hello here, hello here. If you have not believed in Jesus, okay, that is not appropriate for you to take this because it has a meaning. Is something that is, you know, to the Lord. Now, same thing again. If you look at uh, this occasion, there was no reason why all this uh, mourning and this come out. There's no reason given, isn't it? But I think it's quite conclusive, isn't it? If you look to that, the trend, it's the same thing about being convicted of sin. Okay. And the reason why I really want you to read chapter 9 is because you can see, if you read through those things, the issue is that, how do you feel as an Israelite when you read through, you know, the incident of constant unfaithfulness and the faithfulness of God? Then the next incident is Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 3. Oh, I say that again, right? Did I repeat myself? I did. Yep, okay. Now, look at chapter 9, verse 38. This is one of the, the, the reactions that he did. Uh, 938. Okay, sorry, you're going to flip through all these pages, but uh, that's the last verse, right? It says, in view of all this, so after reading the whole thing, right, which you all set through 38 verses, in view of what we have heard and in view of what is being read. So if you look at the, the, the prayer and praise of, uh, you know, the Levites and everybody, they're just simply repeating what was being read to them, you know, to the word of God. So it says, in view of all this, we make a binding agreement, putting in writing and, and our leaders 
a fake their seal. So basically, they come to a point where they say, I'm going to make a covenant with you, God. And let's look at what they're going to make their covenant to, okay? So they, they look at chapter 10 now. Sorry, I'm sorry you could keep flicking all this because, you know, there's part and parcel of this wonderful book. Chapter 10 now, look at chapter 10, verse 28 to 29. So what happened is that they wanted to make a binding agreement. Now, in chapter 10, verse 28, 29, it spells out what that agreement is between, you know, the people and God. So let me just read from chapter 10, verse 28. Uh, Separate themselves, and then let me go down. Together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these uh, now join their brothers and noble and bind themselves with a curse and an oak to follow the law of Moses given through Moses, the servant of God, and to carefully obey, to obey carefully all the commandments, regulations, and decree of the Lord our God. So the, 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 the agreement was that we will obey carefully all the decree and regulation of the Lord. Then when you read down, it then breaks into three broad areas. One area was that it's around intermarriages. The next, another area is around keeping the Sabbath holy. And then another area is that all the things that we do, they will do in the form of, you know, contribution, bringing their first, you know, the first fruit of their, of their livestock, their fruit, uh, making sure you feed the Levites and whatsoever. But the, the most important thing, the, all these things that they are doing, actually is really come down to this key thing, which is inverse. No, 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 no. Where is Stefan? Sorry, uh. actually I'm cut, cutting short the detail. Chapter 10, verse 39. Chapter 10, verse 39. So they said, look here, we will not have intermarriages. We will not do any trading on Sabbath. We will keep it holy as God has you know, said it's going to be. And then we're going to do all these things. You know, to do all the bringing of the tithing, bringing of the, the, the goods and everything to God and whatsoever. The main purpose is that we will not neglect the house of God. So you have time, you please read through the detail because I'm just trying to cut a bit of time on that. So this is the covenant they say, we will do this. By the way, they actually have a curse, okay? The curse is not being spelled out. Okay, so there is a curse and there's an oak. But the oak, the binding agreement is this. Keep this in mind, okay, because when we go to chapter 13, my friend, wow, man, I tell you, it's so sad. But it's a good reminder, okay? So there's it. Isn't it wonderful? They come to the church of community. You see the progression of it? You want to talk about really genuine being impacted by the word of God? You see the progression of the Israelites through all the different incidents, how they responded to when God's word is being preached, starting from you know the conviction of sin and and the, 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 the wonderful appreciation of God's mercy and and you go all the way up to the point where they say, Look here, we want to enter into a covenant with God. And the covenant is that we will obey his decree. And those things that they do were that. And the real thing for them, very important to them, because the, the temple has just been rebuilt. 
And they said, no, we will keep the temple going because that's where the weakness of God and the presence of God was during that time. You're going to be separated and set aside. Application. How, what, what, what can we learn about this? Hey, by the way, I should talk about application. Okay? By right, there shouldn't be any application. application. If, if, we are, if we are scriptural. Now, can you remember what happened to the reading of the Word of God in Jeremiah? Anybody? Chapter 8. Hello, hello? Anybody? There was the probably Israel probably read the word, right? After that, what happened? Hey, those who are here. Man. Absolutely. Remember the Levites? Well done. Another <laughs> the Levites. The Levites actually were going around explaining to make sure that God's word were clear. And there is application. So application for today, seriously speaking, I won't think so there's any application. The application is really for us to really go and ask ourselves, you know, really read chapter 39 again. Read Romans. Read anything. And ask yourself, hey, how do I feel after reading this? Do, do I, do I have the same little conviction, any appreciation of God's faithfulness? Like Does He move us to do anything? Because you know why? If we never reach that first stage of being convicted of our sin and where we stand with God and what, how, how much you appreciate God, man, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And you know something? Don't blame the preacher. Because it's not the preaching. It is the, you taking the word of God and investigate yourself, just like the Levite, except that you've got to instruct yourself. And the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit is for. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring things to your remembrance. So it's very interesting that we want to say, you know what, this is my same story too, right? We ask for application. Hey, tell me, how do you apply it in my life? I can't tell you how to apply in your life because there are generic things that you can apply in general principle that's given in the word. The application is for you to think for yourself in my situation. In this, I mean, we can talk about the church situation, but you yourself will have to look for the application and what does mean, you know, in the, in your, in the stage of life. Okay. Second thing, you will notice that the setting apart. Now, this we're going to look into. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I really go through that. Now, just go read a bit further. You'll find that First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, as you say, part of it is, you know, we, we bring praises to God. But the later part of it is that we should live lives, okay? So much so that the people around us can glorify God by such a good life that we live. Now, that's exactly what Beth is talking about. Do we live out that good life and have perseverance in keeping on to it despite how, you know, how people react to it so that people cannot only, of course, they won't praise God, but you do such a good thing that they'll just simply say, man, these people are different. 
their God is something that we need to find out because it's a bit different. There is a radical thing about Jesus. Happen again. Why does it happen whenever I preach? This is the second time. Sorry, John. This happened the second time. Sorry. And then the last thing is this, okay? The last observation is this. You notice that what happened after the reading of the Word of God? Can anybody pick up any observation? On occasion where the God's Word is being read, what follow? Hello? Absolutely. Read the two occasions where it was read. The first occasion, and then the one before chapter eight, so chapter eight, eighteen before the thirteen, chapter nine, the long thing. Okay, if they go into this praise, the reading of God's word leads to praise and worship. The first time, even more, more, more thing, right? Because they really raise, they raise their hand and they bow down. It has to be that. How can you not, how can you not, you know, realize how great your God is and not end up with praise and worship? So sometimes it's very funny, actually, we, we, are there, we put it the other way around, okay? When we do our worship, our morning worship, we seem to seem that there are two parts, right? Do you feel that way? Like, it's like, oh, all the singing, worship, and thanks, and prayer, and then now, oh, John speaks, so teaching part. Look at all these guys. The other way around. God's word is being read. And bring, bring the praise. Hey, maybe you should try. John, maybe you should try it. Do it the other way around. I'm serious. Because this is what happened. Now, come to our personal level. You know, Marie, sorry to bring you up. Uh, Marie... Every morning, she's like, mm, read the Bible, right? So I say, wow, man, you are really good. But do you think about it or not? Oh, no, 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 you must read, right? After all, you've got to cover the whole Bible, get some head knowledge. Sure, go ahead, do it. But you'll never come to this experience where you read and meditate and you praise God. You thank God. If you do not personally have this experience of worship and praise and allow God's word to impact on you, how can you ever come to a corporate service on Sunday and hope that our friend, uh, the chorus leader and the worship leader and poor John has to you know, provide all these things and then say, oh, by the way, if you are going that way, we are exactly going to some of our friends across the road, right? Basically, we have all this waving of hands or whatsoever and get moving and moved just for that day. Lastly, come back to the very sad one. Can we just turn to uh, number chapter 13? There's the application and some more you can think about it, but I do not want to go away not highlighting this, okay? I'm sorry I'm going to take that extra time, but critical, critical. Let me get... Okay, chapter 13, verse 11. So what happens is that you read Nehemiah, Nehemiah, after he done all these people start to populate, okay? All these people excited about God and all this, he went back to his job. Okay? And then he came back after, I think about 21 years, he came back. He came back. 
and this is what he's discovered, okay? So I just highlight it, but you please go and read it, and, and but it's a very sad. Okay, chapter, 11, uh, chapter 13, verse 11. He came back, okay, to cut, okay. He came back, uh, chapter 11, okay, so I rebuilt the official and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Because basically what happened is that Nobody is, in this incident, if you read the verses before, the Levites were get, not getting what people said they are supposed to give them to support them to work in the, in the temple. So it all happened. They all then go back to the field to work. It's almost like, hey, John, sorry, we can't pay you. <laughs> go back to your secular job. Right? Number one. And so he was so angry. And this is what he says. Why is the house of God neglected? Can you remember all the things, the, the, the agreement that was made by the Israelites? God's house will never be neglected. The first thing they do, God's house was neglected. Can you look at the first 15, chapter 13, verse 15? You know, if you read the 13, wow, marketplace came back to the suburb. And they were trading, they were whatsoever. In fact, the word used very strongly was actually 17. I rebuked the noble of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing? Desecrating the suburb. Wow, so it's a word that we never use too much, but it's exactly that. That's what they did. That is suburb. You remember they promised that we will keep the suburb holy? Third thing. Chapter... Chapter uh, 13, verse 23. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who has married women, da-da-da-da-da. What happened? They intermarried. You know what is very sad? Look at verse 27. Must we hear now that you are doing... Hey, by the way, he quoted Solomon, okay? So Solomon is being featured in this too. But anyway, verse 27. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women. It is not the marrying of the foreign woman. It's the indication that you are turning away from God and worship their God. It is turning away from being set aside to integrating with them. So, so this is really very sad. So you look at Jeremiah, you know, it's very sad because chapter, chapter 12 is almost a highlight. They delegated the war, there was thanksgiving, they were praising, and you read chapter 8, almost, oh, fabulous, these people are really traveling well. And then when you come to chapter 13, there was what happened. It was so sad because Nehemiah got to cover his butt, right? Basically, Nehemiah said, so it's kind of funny, you know, say, hey, Lord, not me, okay? I've done my part. <laughs> of course, I wouldn't think so he's saying that. But it's time to just elaborate. So I remember, in closing, just remember this warning. That we, like the people of Israel, can easily fall back into everything that we say we wanted to do. So they are not very much like, not very much different from their forefather, but only a couple of chapters, maybe 20 over years apart. So I always remind myself of what Paul's verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 12. He says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heal, 
this he fall. So as I already said previously, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, it's the struggle of the Christian life, no matter how many years you are in the faith. You know that uh, we get our excitement of God speaking to us. We get our excitement and we are high day, but we are so easily dragged back into the what? Now, honestly, last Sunday I spoke, right? Monday to Friday, and the exciting thing happened with God's word or not? Now, let me tell you, nothing happened in my life that seven, that seven days because we were busy. What? We were busy. So I'm just telling you, I preached the word on a Sunday night. I was good Monday, Tuesday, and then I'm back to my merry way. Until I open up, I was I open up my Bible again. Hey, let me look at what are the two next things I'm going to say on Sunday. This is how how Paul would come to life. That we need to depend on God and just have to preserve in it. Shall we just pray? Heavenly Father, just pray that you, your spirit may once again come into us and revive us, Lord. You are there all the time, but uh, we have just quenched you. We have made you non-effective by our disobedience, by our lack of attention to your word, by our distraction with uh, everything that goes around us. Forgive us, Lord, for not seeing what is important. Like, uh, like a good uh, preacher used to tell me, Lord, uh, we, we have been having one arm round Jesus and the other arm round the world, whereby we have to have both arms round Jesus. So, Lord, help us to once again be reminded again that you are such a faithful God, always having mercy and always forgiving and always giving us a second chance if we come back to you. So, Lord, help us uh, to be like the Israelite, Lord. Help us to always wanting to come to your word. Help us to learn to be repentant. Help us to listen to your spirit. You want to be repentant and take action and come back to you. So, Lord, continue to uh, stir our soul. Continue to speak to us uh, through the week as we attempt to uh, want to walk close with you and, and obey your word. And just pray that, Lord, uh, you will make us... Uh, more and more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.